Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homewood Park Baptist Church. I'm excited to get back into our series on Sermon on the Mount. As we continue, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today, the second half of that, as Jesus is continuing to teach us how to live in this broken world, because all of these things that he is teaching are not only for our benefit, but it teaches us how to impact the world. So as everybody is finding your seat, I'd like to say that there is a Bible in the pew in front of you. Uh, If you have a, a smartphone or something like that, you can access us through the Bible app. On the events tab, you can see the points there, or they're just good old paper and pencil. They'll be on the screen. You can follow along. So I encourage everybody to open up a copy of God's Word in whatever form you have it, and let's pray. God, I thank you so much for our worship thus far, Lord. The music has just invigorated our souls, Lord, as we are ready to hear what you have to say from your Word. For it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Too many times, I don't know about you, but we like to break our lives up into categories or kind of like into boxes, don't we? This is our, this is Sunday is our church life. Monday is our grind life, uh, our, our career or whatever it may be. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, each day has its own set of boxes and parameters. But we think that if we separate these different aspects of our life, that we can have greater control over them. But the truth of the matter is, is that we were not created to live a life in boxes. We're not to put God in a box. We're not to put our family in a box, our career in our box, our, our hopes and dreams in the box. They are, they are not to be compartmentalized and dealt with on a as-needed basis. They are all part of our lives. And Jesus teaches us here today that the secret to living in this broken world is to realize that there's not compartments in our lives, but that everything that we have is His. And by realizing that everything that we have is His means that we will use them to bring honor to Him. It means that this secret will help us to live the life God has created us to live and live the life that Jesus died so that we could live. And so we're talking about the great treasure hunt this morning. And before we jump into the scripture, you know, whether you're a Clemson fan or not, you've probably heard about this next thing. It's called Howard's Rock, right? That's for you, Miss Bobby. (laughs) Howard's Rock. And and I was watching uh, some TV the other day. And I saw where this came from. I I didn't know this story, but one of the greatest traditions in college football can be found just a few miles from this church down the road from us in Clemson. And I'm talking about Howard's Rock. Before each home game, Clemson players ride the bus down to the hill. They gather around the rock and they rub the rock for good luck. And then they race down the hill. And the stadium is known as Death Valley, and this tradition was termed by sports commentator Brett Musburger as the most exciting 25 seconds in college football. That's where that phrase came from, was Brent Musburger. And so I was surprised to learn that Howard's Rock, which was named after Clemson's legendary coach, Frank Howard, was not always the treasure that we see that it is today. It's not, it, now it's Howard's Rock, but it used to be something much different. This rock was actually a gift to Coach Howard 
from a friend whose name was Samuel Jones who found the two-and-a-half-pound rock while traveling through Death Valley, California. So the stadium had already got the name Death Valley, so his friend said, Hey, this rock is from Death Valley. I think I'll send it to him. So he did, and he knew that Clemson Stadium was called that, so he saw the symbolism. And so at first... Coach Howard was not impressed with the gift of a rock. I mean, think about it. If you got a gift and it was a rock, what would you do with that? So he did what most people would do. He took that rock and he just put it on the floor. Matter of fact, he used it for years as a doorstop. And so Howard's rock was once a doorstop for his office. And then so eventually he was cleaning out his office one day and he tripped over it. So he got pretty upset at that, and if you if you knew anything about him, you know he, he was pretty uh, expressive in his emotions. But uh, the rock remained there until the summer of 1966, when according to Clemson legend, Coach Howard stumbled across it, and he told the Clemson booster, Gene Willman, to take this rock and throw it over the fence. I don't care what you do with it, just get it out of my office. Do something with it. Eventually, it came to rest where it now sits overlooking Death Valley. And Coach Howard told his players in the 1967 season opener against Wake Forest. Some of you probably already know the story, but he told his players, give me 110% or keep your filthy hands off my rock. Give me 110% or keep your filthy hands off my rock. And so, that that just gives me a greater appreciation of the fact that when they are touching that rock and they are, are rubbing it for good luck, that the, these players and these coaches are saying, I'm giving 110%. Clemson clearly won the game that day with a 23-6 victory, and the players earned the privilege for themselves and every future Tiger running down the hill to rub Howard's rock. Isn't that amazing? A rock that was used as a doorstop, is now used as a motivator for not only a team, but an entire football program. Now, again, I'm not saying this as a Clemson fan. Some of you other fans will say, I could care less about that rock. Whatever. But you get the symbolism here is that what, what was once a doorstop is now something amazing. What made the change? What gave it the value? The value that it, it received was it was seen in a different light. It was not seen anymore as the gift of a rock that was holding a door open. It wasn't seen as a rock that the coach stumbled over, but it was seen as a representation of the commitment that the players would give each and every game. My friend, you and I, our lives are filled with rocks. Our lives are filled with things that sometimes we stub our toe over them. They are filled with, our garages are filled with stuff. Our bank accounts are not filled with stuff, but they are, we've got other banks that have our stuff that we're paying off, right? I mean, you know, payments, payments, payments. And then we have careers, we have families, we have all of these rocks. And what gives them value? And what gives them value is, the value that we give them. Some of you may be hoarders and you're keeping that that whatever it was for 20 or 30 years. And, and hey, you may need it someday. But the thing is, is that if you don't give an emphasis, if you don't go back to it, all it does is it, it just accumulates junk. 
I've been in houses before to where you can't even walk to the back of the house because there is one little trail going through the house. And if you go to the left or right, you're going to get lost and somebody's going to have to come find you. They're always waiting for that one thing. When it's a different, you know, we can have all the things in the world, but it's the things that we treasure that give us importance. It's the things that we treasure that give them importance. So it becomes dangerous when we take for granted things that have value and attention. The things that God may not give us, that they may not seem desirable now over what the world may offer. They may seem to hold no value when actually they are truly treasures. And Jesus talks about this. Let's look at the passage here. First thing we see is that we need to never let the things that you possess possess you. Never let the things that you possess possess you. I've I've been guilty of it when I was younger, and I know plenty of people are in that position where they're trying to get all they can for their family, and they live from paycheck to paycheck, and they can see what else they can add and how much is the payment going to be a month. And you live by payment and by payment and by payment, and then you realize those payments don't stop, even though your life situation may stop. And then all of a sudden, these payments, these commitments, these big world problems that you now have that you didn't have when you were a teenager or when you were living with your parents, now these big world issues are now imploding in on you. And what are you going to do? Well, we see here, it says, starting in verse 19, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. And where thieves can break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I, when I read these things, I like to do kind of like an analysis. And this is not some great trick. You could do that right now with your own pencil and paper or you could go back and use your smartphone and make some notes later. But when you take this passage, I like to compare Two things. Number one, Jesus is comparing treasures on earth to treasures in heaven. And so my little list I came up with here is that number one, for treasures on earth, earthly treasures are only found where? Okay, that's obvious, right? You're like, wow, that's insightful. But the truth is, is that earthly things can only be found on earth as opposed to heavenly treasures are where? You got it. This is earth-shattering study here, right? But what we see here is that earthly treasures not only are found on this earth, but earthly treasures stay on this earth. Even when we leave, our earthly treasures will be left behind. That truck's not going to shine so bright anymore. That bank account is not going to matter Those things are not going to matter. That career, that title, that reputation is all going to stay here. But heavenly treasures are protected by God. We also see that earthly treasures are attacked by the dying earth they came from. Earthly treasures are attacked by the dying earth they came from. Decay, deterioration. Devaluation. And and I've got a great illustration, and and it it breaks my heart every time I go to it. I have got a storage locker with stuff from my parents that I still don't know what to do with. There's emotional ties. There's 
um, the incentive to not have to pay that fee every month to to keep things that I don't know what I want to do with. But the sad part is every time I go back and I look at that storage unit, it's just decaying. It's just ruining in that storage unit. And there's nothing I can do about it until I decide what I am going to do. Because they are decaying. My parents' legacy, they are gone. The bodies that they lived in are decaying, but their spirits are with Jesus. Their heavenly treasures are there. And I see every time I go to that storage unit, I see the truth of this. When I saw, when I loaded up the, the U-Haul truck of junk that went to the landfill, it, I was so overwhelmed to think that their whole life was now going to a landfill. That's going to happen to you one day. You're going to have to do that with your parents. Somebody's going to do that with your stuff. Because the things that we accumulate on earth are attacked by this earth and they deteriorate and they decay. But heavenly treasures are eternal. There is no death. There is no decay. And there is no deterioration. Earthly treasures are subject to others. People can steal it. People can destroy it. People can fight over it. But heavenly treasures are untouchable by earthly forces. Let me say that one more time. Heavenly treasures are untouchable by earthly forces. And earthly treasures, they die with you. But heavenly treasures await you. Storing treasures is much more than tithing. It is surrendering your life to serve him. God will not always make sense on a balance sheet, folks. There is not all, you're not going to be able to pro and con what God is doing. Some of the best blessings that God has ever given me has been followed an act of obedience, and then he blesses my door off, and I cannot explain it. It is a testimony to who he is and how he is. We can have faith in everything we give God, but including, but not limited to our money, will be used by God for his purpose. For example, let's say you come into some money. And you want to go invest it. You can, you can decide whether you go with an investment firm. You can do it yourself. You can bury it in a mason jar, put it in your backyard, whatever you want to do. Put it in your mattress. But you have no control over the market. The market is going to go up. The market is going to go down. The market is going to correct itself. The market is going to go great. And you just have to hope that you can get in and out and not lose your shirt. You have no control over that. And folks, the truth of the matter is we think we have control of our lives, but ultimately we are in the hands of God. God is sovereign and nothing passes through our life that doesn't go through his hands. The good, the bad and the ugly. So we need to give God our dreams. We need to give God our hearts. We need to give God our families and give God all that we are. We need to invest in God because he is going to invest In us. And that's scary to think that, God, I'm going to give you my family. God, I'm going to give you my finances. I'll go ahead and tell you, somebody who tried to run it on their own, I was running our finances in the ground until we finally got right with God. And it's amazing. When you give your finances, when you give your family, when you give your stuff to God, there is a contentment that you will never experience until you do that. You won't have everything you want. But you'll have everything you need. We also see in verse 21, our hearts are mapped to our treasures. 
Our hearts are mapped to our treasures. He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. Don't you enjoy a good treasure hunt? Scavenger hunt, hide and seek. The thrill of the search. Or the reward of not being found, or the reward of finding what you're looking for. I find it amazing to see that Jesus reminds us that our treasures are not hidden, but they are in plain sight inside of our heart. You see, because the heart is seen as the center of our emotions, is it not? The heart is, when Valentine's Day is coming up, did you know they already had Valentine's Day candy out before Santa Claus even came? It's crazy. I mean... Back in, back in the Old Testament days, it was believed that your emotions resided not in your heart, but in your bowels. Boy, that would have made Valentine's Day awkward, wouldn't it? But no, it's a heart. It's a heart. And the heart represents love, the center of our being. And you love your family with all your heart. You love your things with all your heart. You love God with all your heart. But that's the thing about our hearts. They give away our true emotions. And they give away our feelings. And there are many hearts that are represented in this room today or someone may be listening to this sermon online. We have people here with happy hearts. We have people with giving hearts. We have people here with selfish hearts. Hard hearts. Hurting hearts. Maybe even broken hearts. And maybe even healing hearts. So, what do you determine are the treasures in your heart. I'll give you a few examples. If you want to find out what the treasures in your heart are, let me ask you, what do you think about the most throughout the day? What do you think most about throughout the day? Is it yourself? Is it what you want? Is it your family? Is it God? Is it what God wants for your life? What gets your heart beating faster? What gets you excited? What do you think you can't live without? Whatever it is, that is your treasure. And if it is anything but God, it is less than what God has got planned for you. Now, now understand this. I can hear some of you saying, well, preacher, I am not going to put my family before anybody else. My family comes first. But my friend, I will tell you what. If you love God first, you will love your family better than you ever could in your own strength, because you will be loving them not with your love, but with God's love. Jesus is more than a Sunday tradition or a Hail Mary prayer when we're in need. He is our Savior, He is our Lord, and He is our friend, and we should treasure Him. We see in verses 22 through 23 that your treasure is determined by the lens you use to see the world. For example, cataracts is the clouding of the lens of your eye. For people who have cataracts, seeing through cataracts is like looking through a fog or a mist or a, a steamy window. And it's clouded because they can't see. They find it hard to read. They find it hard to drive, especially at night or even to see the expression on a friend's face. And most of the cataracts develop slowly until it gets to the point to where they have to do something about it. So what Jesus is describing here in this passage is a form of spiritual cataracts. When we let other things take precedence in our heart, 
take precedence in our mind and direct our eyes to things other than God, if we, we begin to, our spiritual vision becomes cloudy. That's why right now as I'm preaching this, some of you are saying, Preacher, I am not as spiritual as you. I'm not good enough. I'm just going to live my life like I want to live. And my friend, how has it treated you up until this point? I'm not preaching to you as someone who has got all the answers. I am preaching to you as someone who has the answer. And that is giving God your life. It's surrendering to Jesus. He says that in verses 22 and 23, he says, Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, and by the way, another word for this that they used back in those days is generous. Being, having a healthy eye was meant to be generous. When your eye is healthy or generous, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, which meant it was greedy, when your eye is greedy, unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness and it is the light you think you have is actually darkness and how deep that darkness is. My question to you is, what lens do you see your world through? If everything is seen as a means to please yourself, then your greed will blind you to the treasures God has for you. Some of you don't know God's treasures for you because you are too blind to it because you are too full of yourselves. If everything you see is a means to please God, then you will see all God has blessed you with more clearly. If your life is unfilling and you feel like you can never get enough or get ahead, you may need to change your focus. See things in your life as a treasure given to you by God and chunk those things that take away value from your life. If there is something that takes away value from your life, if there is something that takes your your attention off of your walk with God, my friend, you better chunk it. Also, he Jesus, I love him. He doesn't mince words. In verse 24, he says point blank, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. It's kind of ironic that he, of all the things he could have said there, he singles out money, doesn't he? Jesus doesn't mix words here. There is a choice that you and I must make every day. Being enslaved to money is not just a problem for the rich either. It can be a problem for the poor and the middle class as well. But here's the thing. Listen, check this out. You will never know the freedom. You will never know the freedom and blessings of God until you turn over your life and your money to God. And don't worry, I'm not, we're not headed up to a big offering after this sermon is over. That's not what I'm pulling towards. But I'm just telling you, I have seen people that are not shackled by their, I mean, not set free by their finances, but shackled. And I know everybody, they're like, preacher, I have given all I can this week. You just need to move on. Look, hey, that's fine. I don't want a dime of your money. I really don't. This church doesn't need your money. Harold, don't, don't have a heart attack if you're hearing this. But it's the truth. The money that we give is an act of worship. And if you don't give, God will lead somebody to until we, 
we can't do anything else. It's not about me getting stuff in my pocket. It's not about us building the budget or getting a, a better building or a better program. It's about people surrendering to God and giving God all of their lives. And for some reason, the hardest string that we find to let go is the finances. And Jesus himself says here, you can't serve two masters. I think of those friends that I had when I was younger and single, and they would try to juggle two or three girlfriends at one time. That never works out well. You try to juggle more than one girlfriend, you're going to lose both of them because they talk. And then when you start talking about marriage and and all that, that, that's even worse. You can't juggle those things. But when God is your treasure, he is also your provider. When God is your treasure, he is also your provider. Check this out. Verses 25 through 32, he says, That is why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life, whether you will have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Then he asks a question. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more far, far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And he keeps on, verse 28. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory has not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. So why do you have so little faith? Folks, you must trust that God will provide for your needs. And to do that, it takes faith. He says in verse 31, So don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Oh, it sounds so easy, doesn't it? Hey, folks, don't worry. Just give it to God. Boy, that'll look good on a card or a Facebook post or an a Instagram picture or whatever you want to. Yeah, that sounds great. But, but what does that look like? Why should we not worry? Well, number one, worry physically affects our bodies. Worry will have a physical toll on your body. The second thing is worry affects the way we treat others. We are not ourselves when we worry. Donna can tell when I'm worried. James, what's wrong? Nothing. And then 20 times later, what's wrong? Nothing. And then finally I'm getting upset because she keeps asking me what's wrong. And I don't want to tell her because I'm worried about something. And all of a sudden now i got another problem. I made her mad because I won't tell her what's worrying me. So now I'm worried about that. But we work it out, and, and I usually, in my stubbornness, will, will finally come clean of whatever that may be. And I don't know why I like to hold on to worry. Are y'all, do y'all like to hold on to worry? I, I do it like I like it, but I really don't like it, but I can't stop it. Some people are worried now because they have nothing to worry about. But the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus says, don't worry. Many times, warriors project their worry on those they love the most. And I don't want to do that to my wife. I don't want to do that to my church. I don't want to do that to my friends. And I hope you don't either. But also, our worry attacks our willingness to trust God. That's what our worry does. And Jesus is saying, don't worry about it. Finally, 
Focus on what God is providing now, not what might happen later. If I could tell you anything today, folks, I know all of us in here have had different paths, different journeys, different heartaches, different rejoicing, different struggles, different trials, different victories. But we're all here today for some reason. And follow Jesus' advice. And focus not on what's going to happen tomorrow, but focus on the now. If you've got a family member here or a friend, just put your arm around them and hug them. Because you don't know if you'll have that tomorrow. If you've got to tell somebody what they mean to you, do it while they're living. Don't pass out roses to the dead. But give them to those who are living. Jesus says in verse 33, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. (laughs) He will give you everything you need. Not everything you want, but everything you need. There are a few things that I'm telling God I need, but he hasn't agreed with me yet. But that's okay. I'm still going to serve him. And I'm still going to love him. So when we see this verse, we can just see that there's three actions. Seek him. Live for him. And he will give you your needs. Folks, God reminds us that his created things have a beginning and an end. So what makes us different? Well, number one, we have a soul. Number two, we have a heart to comprehend him. Number three, we have a plan to spend eternity with him if we so choose to. And our level of worry is a direct response of our lack of trust in God. So I'll conclude with this. Define your treasures and dwell on them. Define your treasures and dwell on them. I hope that your treasure upon all treasures is God. And don't focus on what you've lost but focus on what God has given you and what is right in front of you and the hope that you can have for tomorrow because we are here for some reason. I go back to Howard's Rock at Clemson. What was once a doorstop is now one of the most exciting traditions in college football. Don't take what God has blessed you with for granted. God has given you a new day to worship him, people to love, and a purpose to serve. So don't waste your energy on things that will eventually fade away. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your your word here, Lord, as, as Jesus has taught us, Lord, to reprioritize and to make sure that above all else, we treasure you. This doesn't mean that these things that you've given us are not treasures. <coughs> but Lord, they, they all fall behind placing you first. We love you first, then we love our families. We love you first, then we love our jobs and our careers. We put you first, then we love those who we encounter. Dear Heavenly Father, in 2020, may we treasure you. May we love you and not try to serve two masters, but serve you, the King of Kings, And the Lord of Lords. And that starts with surrender. 
that if there's anybody here today that has not surrendered to you, that is not a believer, has not accepted you to come into their lives as their Savior, Lord, and to forgive them of their sins. Maybe today would be that day that they would leave that old person behind and they would start anew and afresh today with you being at the center of their heart. Maybe someone wants to join the church or come to the altar and pray, whatever it may be, Lord. This time of invitation is a time for you to work. May you do so, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?